0: It's here at the very top say something quippy about the new year But when you go third and people have already said happy new year, it feels hollow But happy new year I hope that everybody is semi-recovered from their Christmas holiday And I heard on the radio this week somebody complaining About Christmas and new year's being in the middle of the Okay Being in the middle of the week, it said, it feels like this is like a whole, like two weeks of Mondays and Fridays. That's all it was. But today is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad therein. Before we read God's holy word, it is good to pray, get ourselves in the right mind, invite the spirit to give us wisdom as we hear that word. So if you'll join me in prayer. God, our helper, By your Holy Spirit, open our minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might be led into your truth and taught your will. I ask that I be placed in the shadow of the cross, my unjustness held not against me, as I become the vessel for your word, for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For those of you that I didn't say it to, and maybe you don't know me, I'm Tim Hoynes. I think most everybody knows me. If you're a guest today, welcome. Um, If you thought Jeff was going to be here, ha ha. (laughs) We've got three readings today. The first two are out of the book of Genesis, very short, and then the third one is out of the book of John. All three of these verses involve the creation event and kind of who was there. Why don't we open? We'll open first with Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Our next verse then is just one verse out of chapter 2. It's verse 7. It says, Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature and then finally John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 in the beginning sort of a similar start there huh in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him and without him was not anything made that was made In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in that darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I thought I came up with a really, really good way to have a first sermon of the new year, right? Kick it off so everybody's excited, and I thought, what better way? to have a sermon to start off the new year than to have a lesson in ancient Hebrew. (laughs) But I don't want to get right into the ancient Hebrew. We should have a history lesson first because that will be even better. So Hebrew is an ancient language. Hebrew is the language that most all of the Old Testament was written in. It is very, very old. In fact, Hebrew was more or less a dead language up until from about the first century, into the first century. Till the middle of the 1990s. It was pretty much dead because, of course, there was nobody that spoke it except at synagogue. So think of Latin in the Catholic Church where only the priests speak it, right? Hebrew was pretty much the same except that in the synagogue, any member, Jewish member of the synagogue, has some sort of mastery of Hebrew. So it's not quite dead, there's still people that speak it, but this all changes then in 1922. In 1922, uh, Great Britain owns what is now um, modern-day Israel, and they decide that they would pass a law that said any government official documents or forms or anything like that had to be printed in English, Arabic, which is the most of the speakers of the time, and also Hebrew. So in 1948, the modern, the modern nation of Israel is founded, they continue that on. Now, what's really unique is that is the point where Hebrew comes back to life because people who are Jewish move to Israel and they become speaking Hebrew again. Now, even though actually almost everybody in Israel is bilingual, multilingual, actually Israel's official language is Hebrew but all of their diplomatic work is done in English, Um, but Hebrew is still the language that is spoken on the street. But it's a very old, old language. In fact, if you speak modern Hebrew, you can actually pick up ancient Hebrew and do pretty good because it's just that similar. Now... I know that you're probably thinking, okay, Tim, the history lesson, when are you going to get to this history lesson is kind of stupid, and it is, but it isn't, because the trouble is um, I want to dig into this deeper, and I want to do it through the history, because our lesson today isn't really about Hebrew. Our lesson today is about the Holy Spirit, and I want to dig deeper into what this meaning of the Holy Spirit is, because in the Christian faith, we, we have this triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit kind of ends up taking this third place. And really, the Holy Spirit is God himself. All three parts of God are one God that make up these three essences, beings. Oh, we don't even want to get into that discussion, right? But the one thing we want to say is that we do real disservice to the Holy Spirit in so many ways. We make two big mistakes with the Holy Spirit, and we do them at the same time. We either oversimplify it into a feeling or overcomplicate it into a great mystery. And we want to dig deeper into what that is. And we're going to do that by talking about two different words. And those words are going to be in both our our Old Testament verses today. And they're two different Hebrew words that mean wind. And you're thinking, okay, why do they need two different words that mean wind? Well, the problem is in translation. And it really isn't that Hebrew doesn't have too many words that mean wind. It mean, it's that they don't have enough words. You see, there's not enough words in this ancient language to really translate. And so Hebrew is this language that as you translate, it's full of contrast and things like this or not contrast, context. You have to understand the context in which people are speaking. Let me give you a quick example. You think that, he, that, that, that Hebrew would be an easy thing. Hebrew has 33,000 words. Modern Hebrew has 33,000 words. Ancient Hebrew only had 7,000. English, one of the sources I looked up, English as we speak today has 470,000 words that are active. That doesn't count words that are spelled in different ways, words that nobody uses anymore, but they're still officially words. People knows them. Knows them. (laughs) 400,001 words. It is a language that is huge. It's hard to translate things into that. Think about how many words we have for wind. We have breeze, gust, gust. Bl- uh, breeze, gust, uh, squall, right? I mean, think of it. And then we have our storms, hurricanes, and tornadoes, and blizzards. All of these things have wind that are involved in them. We have a million different ways to describe wind, but in Hebrew, there's just a few words that can. And you have to understand the context of them. What's really cool about this context is. Context as you translate a word from its simple form of wind and to its difficult forms that mean those other things don't change the word. They grow the word. They develop the word. They make the word more than you knew it could be. The Holy Spirit in our life works that same way. In our life, the Holy Spirit takes the simple us, And develops us, and grows us, and makes us more than we can be. And something that's just a simple emotional feeling can't do that for us. What has to do that is God Himself. So God Himself is in is not in but is the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons we have to write things about it to try and explain who He is. So I'm going to tell you a reading quick from the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is one of the Church's oldest. Confessions of Faith, and it says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. So there's this equality of being that exists in the Holy Spirit, and it is that that allows us to be molded and grown and changed just like words are as you translate them and use them in context. But let's talk about the Nicene Creed later maybe because I've got some more to talk about. As we've talked about with the, I'm sorry, I have more I want to talk about because I want to talk about the actual Hebrew words. So we're going to bring up the first one quick. This first one is ruach. Now. I'm going to help walk you through. Whoops! I should have had a laser pointer. Sorry. So the very top is the actual Hebrew letters. There's three letters in this. It's resh, which is an R sound. It's uh, it's vav, which either makes a V or a W sound. And then it's it, it it's het, het, which makes a CH sound, but not a ch sound. Remember, if you ever heard Jewish people talk, it's ch. So then Hebrew has no vowels. So the little dots and dashes tell you what vowel sounds to use. A little dot tells me to use a U sound. And a little dash tells me to use an A sound. So ruach. And ruach, of course, that would be the English kind of pronunciation of the word, right? And ruach means wind. Wind. But notice how it then says this. By resemblance, it means breath or spirit. But there's a caveat. It's the spirit only of a rational being. That's really, really important because when we talk about things that are spirited, like that's a very spirited horse. You can't use this word for that. This, 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 this caveat that says that if you're gonna talk about a spirit, it must be of a rational being, that tells you that there is real depth to that word, depth to what it means. If you're gonna use that for spirit, it must be something deep inside a person, really meaningful. So that's what it says. So then as we take that into the reading from today, which is that first one from Genesis, it says, I told you I, told you I was going to do it different. I'm sorry, he's going to work with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, that's really a neat way to read that. If you read that as wind, you can say the wind of God, okay, fine. But we need to pull that in there and we can see how deep that is when we start talking about the breath of God or the spirit of God. The breath of God is so important in this. We talk about this and we we, we kind of leave it out. 99% of all translations in English are going to use the word spirit. But think about this if we use the word breath of God. The breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Hovering over the face of the waters. So when we invite the Spirit to be in this place with us, there's this depth that that means. There's going deeper. That means we are literally asking the breath of God to hover in and among us like it did at the moments of creation. And take that then in context with with what we read from 1 John. I'm sorry, from the first chapter of John, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made without the Word. John is writing about Jesus. John's book is all about writing about the divinity of, divinity of Christ. It's saying Christ and God are one person. And that's what he's talking about in that whole book. So he's telling us in the very start of his book that from the beginning of time, Jesus was there. So we get this beautiful vision from John about Jesus being there at creation, helping create everything. And then we go back to Genesis and we see God the Father there with God the Spirit. And you think, okay, well, that's great. Okay, you got all three of them there. But no, it it, it needs to be looked at differently than that because when we say a word, what is a word? To say a word is simply exhaling breath. Sure, it goes over your vocal cords and your mouth and your tongue do all those fancy things that people that know that stuff know, right? And that's what creates a word. So at this creation moment where all three beings of God are there, you have God the Father Creator breathing out the word of creation. Creator breath and word in one moment. What comes after this verse is God says, let there be light. And what you, when you translate that in Hebrew, it's very different because we read it as let there be light, but God says it as and God said, exist light. Not let there be light, not like walk over and turn on the switch. When God says it, when he breathes out the word, he simply says at this moment light does not exist and now It exists. We're so spoiled because we think a light switch sends electrical through this current and turn the lights a little filament and all that kind of stuff, or however LED bulbs work nowadays. Light didn't exist. It existed because the people of God, the persons of God, made it so. This spirit that is God is the divine. It is bigger than we can understand, and it has a super important purpose. I want to read to you what it says in the, in the in Westminster Confession of Faith. This is what it does for us. This is what the spirit does for us as individuals. It says it convicts us of our sin. It moves us, from, it moves us to repentance. It persuades us and enables us, and it lets us embrace Jesus Christ by faith. So this same breath of God that created light works in us to draw us to Christ. Only a God who is deep and understanding and powerful can have in His Spirit that much power. But we'll go back here because I want to go back and talk about the Spirit part. Because that is what's used in most translations. And I know I said that we oftentimes think that the spirit is, is just a feeling and we need, to, we need to make it, we need to not oversimplify it. Well, let's face it, I've been not oversimplifying it, right? And I've been making it that great mystery. And I think this is why we actually use the word spirit in our translations, or at least my opinion, because spirit makes it more friendly. Spirit makes it more personal. Think about it when it says this. When you talk about the Holy Spirit indwells me. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is my friend. It takes that mystery away. It's not a feeling, but it's also not a mystery because it's something you can almost touch, almost feel, almost interact with. Because you can. Feel maybe, not well, feel. What's a feeling anyway? But interact with. When the Spirit comes into our lives, the Spirit transforms us. The Spirit takes us from our simplest form and transforms us into the context we need to be. It is the Spirit that takes us from that sinful creature and moves us toward that sanctified Christ-like person we all hope to become someday. And what is a friend but the definition of what the Holy Spirit does for you? The Holy Spirit reminds you when you're not doing the right thing. It is your conscience. The Holy Spirit gives you that gentle nudge to go where you didn't need you know, know you needed to go. The Holy Spirit holds you to a higher standard. But the Holy Spirit also teaches you. When you open yourself to the Spirit, when you're reading, when you're praying, when you're just meditating, the Holy Spirit is that conduit for God to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit is the one. I didn't forget. I changed how I wanted to say it. There's that voice in your head. When when, when it is the darkest moment of your life, when everything seems lost, and yet there's that voice. And maybe it's just a feeling, but maybe it's a voice. That voice that somebody else should have heard, but it was only for you. That tells you everything will be okay. It's not going to be okay tomorrow, maybe, but it will be okay. That is the spirit that walks us through this. I think there's one important thing. We'll move on to the next word because I want to tell you it's this next word, I think, that helps us find this real balance between, between oversimplify and great mystery. And that is the next Hebrew word we're going to talk about, which is neshima. Now, oh, I must have uh, there's supposed to be a letter under those two dots, but it doesn't matter because here's the deal. I'm going to skip the spelling part. Uh, I know it really wasn't that interesting. And let's be honest, I was only trying to impress my future daughter-in-law. But Neshima is a different word. It is a word, but it's also a word for wind, but it's a puff of wind. So think about that, as that, that gentle breeze or that little, just that little gust that happens, especially on a really hot day and you get this kind of a nice little breeze that comes by and you're like, oh man, all right. Then, then, then it's Nebraska, so it dies again and becomes horrible. <laughs> but, but more than that, it's this. It's a vital breath or a divine inspiration or intellect. So, I want to read then the next verse that comes in, which is also from Genesis, Genesis 2, and it says, uh, there we go, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now, you're probably saying, hey, Tim, there's two words that say breathe. There's breathed and there's breath. We're not talking about breathed, we're talking about breath, the neshama of life, the reason we're not going to talk about breathe is breathe is a different word. Yes, there's another word. Breathe is a different word in Hebrew. It's a word that actually means to inflate. So uh, we, we, it kind of sounds weird to say, and then God inflated the man. Um, but, and so we're not talking about that because it is a different substance. And yet, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's an accurate word. Um, we have lungs. Lungs have to inflate. When God created all of the animals, the first thing he would have had to have done was inflated their lungs. That would have been their first breath. So they knew, they, and then he would say, okay, hey, you're made. Go off and eat grass if you're a cow and whatever else you do if you're an animal, right? He breathed in them. He inflated their lungs. Well, God did indeed inflate the man. They inflated the man with something much different. He inflated the man with the breath, the neshama of life, which was divine, what they say it was? Divine inter-something. There we go, divine inspiration. All I could think was intervention, and I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> Although it should be. Um, or vital breath. At that moment, what God did for mankind was completely different than what he did for the animals. That, 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 that vital breath that God filled humans with is our soul see human beings are different than any other creature in creation different from the animals, different from the angels animals have no soul, I hope that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings animals have no soul they're a purely physical being, they live and they die angels are a purely spiritual building, building, (laughs) being they're a purely spiritual being who are eternal Humans are unique. We have this physical body, some of them have great physical bodies, some of us have not so great physical bodies. And some of us live for a very short time, and some make it to 100 plus. But this physical body will die. But in this physical body is that vital breath, that neshama, the soul, this eternal spirit and it is this eternal spirit that allows us to truly understand the Ruach of God. If we didn't have this, this, this divine peace in us, this, this divine breath in us, we couldn't feel God move. We couldn't see him do the great things he does. It is this Neshama that allows us to go from this sinful creature to this transformed person. It is the neshema that allows us to call God our friend. And I want you to think for a second what that really means. This doesn't make any sense to be a Christian in this world, by the way. It makes no sense to anybody who's not a Christian, especially if you're from another faith practice, how our faith works. We have this creator God. Everybody can go, great, get along with that. And then we say, oh, yeah, but our Creator God knows us individually, cares about us individually. Our Creator God knit us in our mother's womb. Our Creator God knows every hair on our head. Or in Doug's case, every hair that's fallen out. I'll pay for breakfast on Tuesday. <laughs> That is how intricate our God's relationship with us as individuals is. But here's the problem. Human beings are sinful. See, our perfect God is pure love, pure greatness, pure, pure. He will not be in front of sin at at all. And we are sinful people. There is not a person in this room that doesn't lie, cheat, and steal their way through life, including me. And so God said, said, look, okay, you know what I'm going to do? They can't, they, they, they can't do it. I need a perfect atonement. And so God the Son came to earth to be the perfect atonement for our sins. He came, He lived, He walked among us. He lived a perfect sin-free life. He was crucified, He was dead, He overcame the grave, He rose to God so there He could be the perfect justification for our sinful lives. And yet we still don't get it. You see, our sinful nature still keeps us blinded keeps us blinded to what God can be. It keeps us blinded to that faith that we can have in Christ that gives us his grace. And then, so you've already got people that are going, okay, first of all, they have this guy that comes down and dies for them? How silly is that? But still God says, I know that's not enough, so he tells us in John that he's going to send a helper. And it is that helper that is the Holy Spirit That Holy Spirit is like a spiritual defibrillator for us. It shocks us into knowledge. It pulls us in and says, how sinful am I? I can't believe I didn't see this. And it tells us, look, here you are. Here is Christ. And it points us in that direction. So we have this creator God that created everything. Then he came and he saved us from ourselves. And then when we couldn't recognize he saved us from ourselves, he came in the form of the Holy Spirit so our eyes could be opened to our sin. That makes no sense at all. Now, I know that I probably learned more important things than Hebrew and Greek when I was in seminary. Um, But what I find funny is the neshama in my life keeps pulling me back there. So it keeps telling me in some way, Tim, there's something deeper here you need to understand. There's something you personally must be needing to learn by getting back to these silly language studies. And by the way, I don't remember them. I have to use my resources. I have a great you know, software program that does it for you. But if you think that maybe this was all silly, then let me read this quote to you from Daniel Migliore, who's a theologian. Whether one's, whether, whatever, whatever one's job or profession, as a Christian, one is called to be a partner in God's mission of the world. Christian life involves inward growth and renewal, but it does not turn in on itself. Christian life is in movement outwards to others and forward to the future of the completion of God's redemptive activity. So what that is saying is, And what I'm hoping you get out of this message eventually is that we're called to do more. We're called to go deeper. And in 2020, we should dedicate ourselves to that. Call it a resolution. In 2020, we are called to go deeper into our relationship with God. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're not utilizing your neshama, to work with the ruach of God. It is the Holy Spirit and the relationship you can have with God in that being that pulls you deeper, that allows you to go more, that allows you to become transformed into the context He's going to use you in this world. So as our band comes back up here, I've got three things I'm going to send you off with. And the first one is, uh, can you list five ways that I experienced the Holy Spirit in 2019? I would really suggest you sit down and do this. I mean, this is, you you don't have to do it if you want. There's no homework. I'm not checking next week. But I would really suggest you do this because you would be amazed. And go ahead and let it be even little things. Because recognizing the little things is how you begin to recognize the bigger things. So do it. Make a list. And then number two is, how often do I put the Holy Spirit uh, in third place in my personal worship of God? I do it all the time. We forget about it, doesn't it? God really picked a bad place to put the Trinity as the Holy Spirit in last, right? It's, oh, he got the bronze medal. Well, no, we didn't. <laughs> they're all on one first-place platform. Um, try worshiping more in the Holy Spirit. It tells us in, in Nicene Creed, he's, they're all to be worshiped as one. Uh, and then number three, What are the three things I can do to spark the divine inspiration in me to discover God's deeper plan? Make a list of those two. And you will find that God begins to speak to you more and more and more. We have a God who, I think it was, filled our lungs with the breath of God in that screen. Oh, no, I got the wrong one. The song we sang, The Breath of God. Our lungs are filled with your breath. It's not just, it's not just this air we breathe. Our lungs are literally filled with the wind of God. We can exhale that wind. We have 470,001 words to use to tell people about our God. Let the Spirit move you to do it. Do it in little ways, and the Spirit will transform you into doing it in bigger ways. And use those 470,000 words to find out some other way than using wind twice. Amen?